Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And right now at Melbourne Heights, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Mosaic. And during this series, we are exploring different stories or different pieces from Jesus's life to see what these stories have to tell us about who Jesus is. And in this week's episode, we're going to be exploring something that plays a major role in Jesus's time on this earth. And that's the miracles that Jesus performed. Now, if we're being completely honest, these miracles are so far from our own realms of experience that it's hard for us to know exactly what to do with these stories. And especially when we look around and we struggle to see God's hand at work in our own world or in our own lives, it makes us wonder if miracles even happen. But today we're going to see that the stories of these miracles that Jesus performed, they're not just there to inspire us. They're there to teach us something important about who Jesus is. So let's dive right into this episode's sermon and see what Jesus' miracles have to teach us about him. So right now at Melbourne Heights, we are in the middle of a series of sermons called Mosaic. And throughout this series, we are exploring different stories or different pieces from Jesus' time on this earth to see what these stories can teach us about who Jesus is. And just like when you add another piece into a mosaic work of art, it makes that picture a little bit clearer. Every story about Jesus gives us a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Every story about Jesus gives us a clearer picture of who Jesus is. But before we dig into the story from Jesus' life that we're going to be talking about this week, there's another story that I want to tell you first. And as this story begins, collapsible wheelchairs and walkers and crutches were stacked up in an ever-growing pile of wood and of metal right outside the doors leading into a big auditorium. There were women in stretch pants and men in leisure suits that were pouring through this pile of equipment, trying to find the wheelchairs and the walkers that their loved ones had arrived in this auditorium with a little earlier in death. Inside of the auditorium, there was a growing murmur of anticipation for what was about to begin. And as the crowd grew louder and louder, it started to feel like they may have all come together that day to watch a basketball game, or a wrestling match. But then, an enormous choir, all dressed in pastel robes, appeared on risers on the stage. Just about every woman in the choir was a champagne blonde, and the choir director, the pianist, and the male vocalist, the male soloist, they all wore iridescent tuxedos complete with those puffy shirts. There was a baby grand piano that was sitting off to one side of the stage, and there was so much bunting that was piled onto the runway leading up onto the stage that it looked like maybe everybody got together for some celebrity wedding. But it was inside of this auditorium, on this enormous stage, that the service was going to take place that everyone in that arena had come not only to see, but hopefully to be a part of. And it was all going to happen on this enormous stage that was devoid of an altar or a pulpit or a cross or any other Christian symbol. Well, soon enough, the star of the show, the main attraction, uh, arrived on the stage. Her name was Catherine Cool. And at that point in time, she was a fragile woman in her late 60s with a mane of reddish-brown. Now, when you 
looked at Catherine Coleman, she didn't exactly lose charisma or star quality until she moved. But once she began to move, she filled that stage like a Shakespearean actress playing the part of Lady Macbeth. But as she took the stage that day, she wasn't going to be reciting any Shakespearean lines. No, when she took the stage that day and she began to speak, she started by using one of her own signature phrases. She said, I believe in miracles because I believe in God. You see, Catherine Kuhlman was a faith healer and an evangelist. And at one point in time, she even had her own television show. But from the 1940s to the 1970s, she traveled all across the country holding special services of healing and of inspiration. And for this particular service, Catherine Kuhlman had come to St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, Missouri, the gateway to the West, which also happened to be about a 25-mile drive from a little town in Illinois called New Cana and the New and the Cana Lutheran Church that was located in that small town. And there was one particular member of the New Cana Lutheran Church who was especially excited that Catherine Coleman was coming so close to her hometown. She was a 13-year-old girl named Amy Freeze, and she was excited that this famous faith healer was coming so close to town because Amy had cerebral palsy, which is a disorder that impacts the movements of your body that's caused by something that happens to your developing brain. Well, Amy Freeze was excited, and she decided that she was going to go for broke, taking one last shot to find a miracle that would cure her of her debilitating disease. So when the day came, Amy and her parents got in the car and they headed from New Cana, Illinois to St. Louis, Missouri, to attend this service of inspiration and healing. As she sat in the auditorium that day, Amy had her eyes fixed on everything that this famous faith healer was doing. But Amy wasn't the only one in the crowd that was that way. The entire audience was filled with people watching from their wheelchairs or watching with their walkers or their crutches or canes within arm's reach. Well, finally, they reached the point in service that everyone had been waiting for. And Catherine Kuhlman came on to center stage, and she said, Wonderful Jesus, wonderful Jesus, I have no healing virtue. I have no healing power. The truth is, I wouldn't even walk across the street to see someone like me. I was born without any natural talents. But if you can use me, Coleman went on as she glanced knowingly out toward the rafters of the auditorium. And as soon as she said the words, the excitement in the audience reached a fever pitch. Because again, this is what everyone had come together to see and hopefully be a part of. This is what brought people from as far away as Arkansas and Oklahoma to this auditorium in St. Louis, Missouri. They were all hoping to receive a miracle. Well, the first person in search of a miracle that day made her way to the stage. She was a woman wearing a flowery muumuu, and as she walked onto the stage, her steps were somewhat halting. And it wasn't long before Catherine Kuhlman comes, making her way to meet this woman on the stage. And as Catherine Coleman began to speak to this woman, she spoke to her with words of genuine affection, saying to this woman, suffering from whatever it was that ailed her, come here, come here. 
And as soon as she said those words, it was like a floodgate opened up. And people suffering from every sort of affliction or ailment you can imagine started surging across the stage like a giant wave. So it wasn't long before MS patients were wildly exercising their legs. It wasn't long before people who had suffered from strokes were bending over and touching their toes. It wasn't long before people who had arrived at the auditorium uh, basically disabled and, and unable to move because of severe cases of arthritis, they were standing up and they were mocking their wheelchairs. And it wasn't long before kids who had come to that auditorium that day on crutches were clapping their hands and running off stage to greet their parents. All totaled that day, a hundred people were healed and made whole. Amy Freeds wasn't one of them. She made the 25-mile trek back to New Canaan, Illinois, still forced to be in a wheelchair, still suffering from cerebral palsy. Now, I know that's probably not the kind of story that you expected to hear when you came to church today. I mean, when I start out a story telling you about a girl who has a debilitating disease that is on her way to meet a famous faith healer, you probably assume that this little girl is going to be cured. But when that didn't happen, it leaves us all with a lot of different questions. We ask things like, if a hundred people were healed that day, why wasn't this little girl one of them? If a hundred people were able to be healed that day, wasn't there time to heal one more person who was truly in need? If people who were well into their 70s or 80s were set free from having to be in a wheelchair that day, why wasn't this 13-year-old girl set free? And who made the decisions about which people made it onto the stage and which people weren't allowed onto the stage? These these are just the beginning of the questions that we can ask when it comes to faith healings. Because these faith healings, they are so far beyond our normal realms of experience that most of us can't help but be skeptical whenever we hear these stories. Now let's just be honest here. The faith healers, the ones who hold tent revivals or sell out small auditoriums or have shows that you stumble upon when you're flipping through cable TV, They haven't exactly done anything to quiet our skepticism about the miracles that they perform. It doesn't matter if you're talking about people like Catherine Coleman, who had her faith-healing powers called into question by a physician located in Philadelphia, who contacted 23 people that were supposedly healed in one of her healing services, only to find out that none of those 23 people were actually cured. Or you could be talking about the most famous faith healer alive in the world today, a guy named Vinny Hinn, who had his own faith healing powers called into question by numerous documentaries that have aired on HBO as well as the Canadian broadcast system. Or you could just be talking about faith healers like Bart Simpson, who was able to cure someone of their case of arthritis by taking away their cane or help someone kick their nicotine habit by kicking the cigarette out of their mouth in the Simpsons' parody of faith-healing services. We have all seen enough, and we have all experienced enough, that we're skeptical of these so-called miracles. But when we're reading the Bible, and when we're reading the Gospels, which tell us the story about Jesus specifically, we cannot deny that miracles are an important part of the story of our faith. So when we're reading the Gospels, 
we can't deny that Jesus turned the water into wine and that Jesus would walk on water. When we're reading the Gospels, we can't deny that Jesus was able to feed the multitudes with just a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. When we're reading the Gospels, we can't deny that Jesus heals people that are sick and even raises people from the dead. But when we look around the world, when we look at our own lives and we struggle to see God at work there, it's easy for us to wonder, do miracles really Do miracles really happen? But maybe there's more to these stories than just the miracles that are performed in them. Maybe there is something else that these miracle stories are told for inside of the Bible. Maybe these stories are told not just to inspire us. Maybe these stories are told to teach us. Maybe the miracle stories that we find in the Gospels and all throughout the Bible meant to tell us something about who Jesus is and what our God is capable of. I mean, this is what we're talking about at Melton Heights right now. We're talking about different stories that took place in Jesus' life to see what these stories can teach us about who Jesus is. So maybe these miracle stories just help us find other pieces to include in our mosaic. So with that in mind, I want to take a look at just one story of one miracle that Jesus performed. And the story that we're going to be looking at today, it's found in the Gospel of Mark, or Mark's biography, in Mark chapter 1. So let's start reading this story together. In Mark 1, starting in verse 21. Here's what it says. Mark writes, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue, and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit. Just then a man who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus sternly said. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So, if you were following along as I read this story in your Bible this morning, you may have noticed that before this story takes place, there's a heading in your Bible that will say something along the lines of, Jesus casts out an impure spirit, or Jesus throws out a demon. And there's a good reason that you find that kind of heading when you read this passage. And it's because the most memorable part of this story is the part that involves the man with this impure spirit. If it wasn't for that part of the story, nothing else that happens there is really memorable at all. Because this story, it takes place in an ordinary town. The town of Capernaum, which just happens to be the place that most of Jesus' early ministry takes place. And from there we're told that it occurs on the most common holy day in Jewish life, the Sabbath day. And we're told that on the Sabbath day, Jesus does what every other good Jew would have been doing. He goes to the synagogue. So, up to this point in the story, everything that we've read about is pretty ordinary. 
Everything that we've read about is pretty mundane. There's been nothing atypical, nothing that stands out in the story at all. As a matter of fact, up to this point in the story, there's been no reason for Mark to even tell the story at all. Because everything that's happened here, everything that Jesus has done, is what everybody else in Israel would have been doing on a Sabbath day. The modern-day equivalent of this would be like Jesus waking up on a Sunday morning and getting himself ready to go to church. And when he got to church, he would sing some hymns, pray some prayers. In Jesus' case, he would preach a message. And then the service would come to an end, and everyone would go home, and they would quickly forget an otherwise unmemorable day of worship. But then Mark tells us that something memorable happens. And it was the kind of thing that people in this synagogue would be talking about for generations to come. A man who is possessed by an impure spirit shows up, and he interrupts the service that they're having. Now, I don't know what your experiences have been like in church, but I have been in plenty of church services that have been interrupted one way or the other over the years. I've been in worship services where an infant has got upset and started to cry, or a toddler has become talkative and started to babble in the middle of the service. I've been in worship services where every head in the entire congregation snapped back over their shoulder when a creaky sanctuary door that was long overdue for a shot of WD-40 opened up to let somebody in a little bit late. I've been in worship services where a toddler has somehow managed to get out of the arms of their mother or father and started making their way down the center aisle and climbing on the stairs to get onto the stage. I've even been in a worship service where someone wanted to sneak out a little bit early, only to find out that they were double parked when they got in the parking lot, so they came back in and announced to the entire congregation that they couldn't get out. And since I have been in these services, I know how preachers and pastors are supposed to respond when their services get interrupted. So I have spent plenty of time talking over infants that had gotten upset or toddlers that had wanted to babble in church. I spent time watching and waiting for every eye to turn back to the stage after that door opened up and someone came in a little bit late. I stood on a stage and I've giggled and I've made a humorous comment as a mom or a dad has corralled their kid who's standing right in front of the pulpit. And yes, I've even had to pretend that someone didn't interrupt the service right in the middle of my sermon to make an announcement that could have waited for five or ten more minutes. So I know. I know how Jesus is supposed to respond when this person, when this man who is possessed by this impure spirit interrupts their Sabbath service. I know that Jesus is supposed to just ignore this man, that Jesus is supposed to go on about his business and keep on preaching the sermon that he's in, and all that he's supposed to really do is glance at the nearest usher to silently ask for a little bit of help dealing with the situation. But that's not what Jesus Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus stops. Stops right in the middle of his sermon. And he helps a person who desperately needs it. Now I know that when we read this kind of story, a story about a person who is possessed by an impure spirit, that it's easy for us to focus in on that part. The part about the impure spirit, because it is just so far beyond the realm of experience that any of us has. But I don't want you to miss the real point of this story. In this story, when Jesus sees someone in need wander through the doors of the synagogue, 
Jesus stops everything that he's doing, and he helps this man. Jesus stops everything that he's doing, and he helps this man. Jesus doesn't allow the order of worship for that particular day to keep him from serving someone who's in need. Jesus doesn't allow allow the importance of the message that he's preaching to keep him from living out the word of God. Jesus doesn't allow the objection that we've never healed someone in the middle of our worship service before to keep him from helping someone who desperately needs it. But what about us? How often do we allow the business of the church to keep us from being? church? How often do we allow an order of worship to keep us from truly worshiping God? How often do we allow our preconceptions about people who may wander through the doors of our worship space to keep us from finding out how we can serve and minister to those people? You know, when we started into the sermon today, I told you the story of a 13-year-old little girl named Amy I told you that she had cerebral palsy and that she convinced her parents to take her to a service of faith healing that was happening just 25 miles from her home. I told you that on the day of that service that a hundred people were healed. But I also told you that Amy Breeze wasn't one of those people. But what I didn't tell you is that even though Amy's cerebral palsy was not healed that day or any other day, that doesn't mean that Amy Freeze didn't experience a miracle. But for Amy, her miracle took place nine years earlier when she was first diagnosed with this debilitating disease. Because when she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, her doctors ordered an intense regimen of physical therapy known as patterning, where for a few minutes, every single hour, eight hours a day, six and a half days a week, Amy would have her muscles manipulated. She would have her neck, her arms, her hands, her legs, and her feet manipulated, trying to teach her muscles how to work and how to work together. Well, as you can imagine, this intensive regimen of physical therapy, it was more than Amy's parents could handle on their own. It was more than Amy's family and relatives nearby could handle on their own. So this is where the members of the Cana Lutheran Church as well as members of three other Lutheran churches in the, surrounding, in the surrounding towns, stepped in in a big way. They volunteered to take over this physical therapy routine that Amy needed every single day. So they showed up. They worked her muscles, her neck, her arms, her hands, her feet, her legs, trying to teach her muscles how to move together. And as they did, they found out what a great blessing it was for each of them to be there. Because in those moments, they were able to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. In those moments, they were able to serve this family and to help this little girl without delving into the questions of who caused Amy to have this disease or why this little girl was the one who ended up with this debilitating condition. And by the way that these churches these communities of faith responded to this immediate need for this family and for this little girl, they show us what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. 
And they showed one little girl who is never going to be quite like the other kids her age. God still loves her for exactly who she is. So yeah, the reality is that most, if not all of us, will never perform a supernatural The reality is that most, if not all of us, will never get to heal someone who is sick. But when we read these stories, when we pay attention to what happens in Amy's situation, we realize that we may not be able to perform faith healings and cure people of terrible diseases, but as a church and as individuals, we can perform miracles every single day. miracles by being the presence of God to people in need and by serving those needs right now. That's what Jesus did in the story about this man possessed by this impure spirit. Jesus saw someone who was in need and he immediately stopped everything else that he was doing to help that person. This is part of who Jesus is. This is another piece in the mosaic of Jesus that we need to use to figure out and better understand who Jesus is. So if we want to follow Jesus, we can't deny that this piece is part of that picture of Jesus. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to follow his example. We need to be willing to see people around us who are hurting and who are in need. Stop what we're doing, no matter how important it may seem to be, and help someone in that moment. If we want to follow Jesus and be the people that he created us to be, we need to be willing to be the mirror by loving others, serving others, and helping others. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we thank you for the story. helping this man who was possessed by some sort of impure spirit. We thank you for what we heard in those stories, the reminders that Jesus, even in the middle of preaching a message, in the middle of a worship service, was willing to stop what he was doing to help someone who needed him in that moment. We thank you for the story of Amy Freeman, where congregations, where churches, communities of faith came together to help a little girl who desperately needed it. God, help us to realize that there are people all the time, who are in desperate need of your help. Help us to see their needs, and then show us what we can do to serve them, to minister to them, to be a miracle for them. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has challenged you to be the miracle. Spend time looking around at the people that you run into every single day. Notice them, see the needs that they have, and then be willing to do something to help them. Well, 
In our next episode, we're going to continue on in the same sermon series. We're going to continue talking about different stories from Jesus' life to see what these stories have to teach us about who he is. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget that you don't have to wait for our next episode to drop to hear our next sermon. You can also come and worship with us any Sunday and every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com. We would love to have you with us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.